Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for our latest episode of the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. And this special edition is part of ASHP's recognition of Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Our discussion for this podcast series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, career transitions, and more. Today, we'll focus on three accomplished leaders within the pharmacy profession that just so happen to be Asian American. We are very fortunate to have three pharmacy leaders who have had successful careers and contributed significantly to health system professional associations across the nation. Our conversation will focus on their professional journeys as pharmacists and leaders within their organizations. We'll also be asking for their perspectives about the future of pharmacy and how we can continue to support patient care, the profession, and practice advancement. My name is David Chen, and I'm the Assistant Vice President for Pharmacy Leadership and Planning at ASHP. And today we have Benita Patel, Vice President of Pharmacy for the Memorial Hermann Health System. Ashley Ramp, who's the Director of Pharmacy for Network of Care at Children's Hospital Colorado, and Christopher Scott, Chief Clinical and Revenue Officer at Eskenazi Health. Thank you for joining us today for this podcast. Thank you, Benita, Chris, and Ashley for being here today for our discussion. So let's get started. So to get us started, I'd like to ask you all a general question. And what I'd like to ask you is, if you could each share your background and career journey with an emphasis on those critical points of life that encouraged you to pursue the formal leadership roles in your careers. And so to get started here, Benita, could I point to you? Sure. So how I started my journey was actually through the non-traditional route. So before I even went to pharmacy school, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And so I actually left college in my third year and worked on Capitol Hill for a year. So I knew that I was interested in politics. I came back to finish my fourth year of college and realized, you know what, I better really understand what I want to do long term. Is it going to be politics? Is it going to be something else? Thankfully, I always knew that science was part of who I was. And so my undergrad degree was in microbio. And so I ended up graduating and spent two years consulting. I worked for a company called Accenture. They were a top five management consulting at that time. And so through that experience, I realized I love to lead people. That I love to teach people. My passion was helping. I knew that part of it. Unfortunately, I also learned during those two years is I could not be on the road 365 days of a year. So I had to figure out what to do next with my life. And so I fell back on my microbiome degree and looked at all of allied health programs. My sister was a physician, so I knew I didn't want to do that necessarily because I didn't want to necessarily always follow her footsteps. And so I picked pharmacy. I worked at a Kroger pharmacy while I was consulting for three months and said, if I liked working at Kroger, because that's all I thought pharmacy was, I could go to pharmacy school. And I loved every moment of those three months I spent at Kroger pharmacy. And that's how I ended up being in pharmacy school. Well, during pharmacy school, I actually met a man named Fred Eckel. And he is the second graduate of the Ohio State admin program. And he said, I think an admin residency would be perfect for you. And that's how I started my leadership journey. Well, thanks, Penny. That's fascinating. And I like the connection to a past leader of our profession that really has had a lot of influence over many decades. And I guess in your current role, you're using all those skills and interests as lawyer and politics to lead large health organizations. So thank you for that. 
So if we could move to you, Ashley. Yeah, thanks, David. I guess first I have to say that I'm honored and humbled to be included in this panel and just really excited to be a part of this conversation with such dynamic and inspiring leaders. When I thought about, you know, what encouraged me to pursue formal leadership, I really had to go all the way back to kind of grade school and my upbringing. I come from a family, from parents who came from nothing. They were self-made, um, second-generation immigrants, and my mom's from Vietnam. And so instilled in me from the very beginning was this idea of, like, working harder and how they gave up so much for us to have more and do better. And one of the things, they were always at work because they owned their own company, their own waste management company, not in a Sopranos kind of way, but like in an actual, they were collecting materials from residential and commercial properties, bringing it back to this sorting facility, and then they had staff who sorted. So my parents are big believers in working from the bottom up, and they, I was so excited to work with them and at their facility but they told me, hey, your first job is going to be on the commingle line. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, commingle line is essentially all of your recycles on a big conveyor belt. And your job as a worker on the commingle line is to pick out your one assigned type of recycling. And so, you know, you had aluminum cans or you had clear bottles or you had colored bottles or you had newspaper. And I was so excited to be there and have this opportunity. But after my first day, I was kind of monotonous, you know, midway through the day. And then all of a sudden, my grandpa came up, who was a leader with the company. And he stood, you know, shoulder to shoulder with one of my coworkers on the line. And all of a sudden, you could just feel something changing. The whole group kind of just picked up. And I kind of, you know, looked around and noticed people smiling and people talking. And it really taught me to do the work, you know, it goes back to the idea, you know, from Theodore Roosevelt in the arena, you know, if you don't have mud on your face, how can you ask the people who are working for you to do the hard work? And so that's something that kind of really inspired me. Hey, I can make a change like this. I can do something like this for other people. And the other thing I think that goes back to my childhood was teachers constantly inspiring me, taking the time to understand me and helping me to understand the idea that, you know, people come from different perspectives and honoring those perspectives and really understanding helps you to get a better life view. Like Sunita, I had a different first career. I was a teacher, and it's because of those early teachers of mine who helped to open my worldview that I went into teaching science and math in high school. I learned very quickly that was not for me. I give all the kudos to all the teachers, but I did have this idea of like a lifelong learner and wanting to continue that thread. So after um, my failed attempt at teaching high school, I'll call it a failed attempt, I went on to a pharmacy school and then I started my career with the Cleveland Clinic. I went from a pharmacist to an ops manager to a leader of the children's pharmacy. And really through that journey, through my HSPAL residency, it really reaffirmed these ideas of doing the work and helping to inspire others, you know, helping to pursue that formal leadership idea. I'd say that the last thing to kind of like reaffirm that, you know, formal leadership is for you, if you're listening to this podcast and wondering, is it for me, is, you know, are you inspired by those around you? I am so inspired by my team. My team at Cleveland Clinic Children did the hard work we went through in a culture change. And if any of you have ever been through one of those before, you know it takes showing up every single day. And we together decided this isn't where we want to work. This isn't how we want to work. 
and came together and we made a motto, be nice versus be kind. And I could do a whole you know, podcast on that. But really, the idea is to be kind is to see someone is to have the hard conversations is to understand where they're coming from. Being nice is just saying, oh, that's annoying, but I'm going to ignore it and let it build up. And so I guess those are all the reasons why I decided to go into leadership and to stay in leadership. Thanks so much, Ashley. I'm glad that it wasn't the Sopranos way. You're making me nervous when we work together on ASHP activities there, but it was (laughs) nice to hear that story and just really how much it reflects what this whole Heritage Month is about. So I appreciate that. And how about you, Chris? Thanks, David. I think I have some similarities between what Benita and Ashley have shared, but some big differences as well. I am also the son of an immigrant mother who came from Korea and came with very little formal college education, I should say. She came with high school education and really focused on the need and value of working hard, honesty, really trying to get forward through education. When I was growing up and understanding what she was doing as a part-time student and working at night in a factory, and I saw some of the things she went through, I thought, gosh, you know, those are some things that I don't want to have to go through, honestly. And I would love to say I chose pharmacy for the grand reasons of helping folks and really wanting to be in the trenches. But honestly, my initial selection of pharmacy was because I knew it was a good, solid career that had a solid income. And You know, some people would be embarrassed to say that. And I say that with full pride, understanding that many folks certainly wouldn't have said that during a pharmacy school interview. But that is one of the reasons that I chose pharmacy and chose to do what I'm doing. Now, I look back on that and say, okay, I would never recommend anyone choosing a career because of that. But that's the mindset I was in at that time and growing up the way that I did. And understanding now, looking through all of these experiences that I've had, through my professional career and jumping into leadership, again, a little bit more non-traditional than Ashley and Benita, because I did not do a HSPAL residency. I did not seek out leadership as a career. I was really going for the clinical and academia side of things when I started as a faculty member in the College of Pharmacy at Purdue after my residencies at IU Health. And I had some great mentors. Steve Abel was my department head, and he really suggested that I continue to look at leadership as an opportunity. I had a lot of great experiences with developing residents and becoming residency program director and really growing programs through postgraduate training. And then my director of pharmacy at the hospital, Jim Fuller, he called me one day and said that he was being promoted to a vice president and he really wanted me to apply for the director of pharmacy position. And I said, no, that's ridiculous. I'm a faculty member. I'm not going to do that. And I just really thought long and hard about that and what that meant for what I was able to develop within the organization already through clinical programs that I was able to grow through the residency programs, the momentum that we had moving forward. And I thought, okay, these other people are telling me I should do this and I'm going to throw my name into the hat. And that's how I started on that leadership journey, jumping into that director of pharmacy role. And I say that because I think that happens more often than not that someone comes to that next person and says, hey, 
I really think you would be good at this. You should consider it. Or, you know, I see a, a spark of leadership in you and let's develop that. And I think that's so important to continue to grow and develop in others. And that's something that I feel very passionate about within the world of pharmacy to continue to push folks to really excel and perform at their highest level. So that's my leadership journey, sir. Great. Thank you so much, Chris. Well, and I think in part, even the reason that we've asked you all three to be here today for this podcast is so much of how people are influenced and make decisions are seeing others that you know reflect their personal life journeys and reflect themselves to get inspired and that there isn't just one pathway. You know, really appreciate those stories of how you got to where you are today. Now I'd like to move to more specific questions about some of your leadership experiences and advice as you've taken these journeys, because, you know, all of you individually, collectively, for sure, bring such a wealth of knowledge, and but also slightly different roles and journeys to reach where you are today, all quite very interesting ones, as we've already heard. And so, Vanita, I'd like to turn back to you. As you work in a very large health system, we're interested to listen to your perspectives on how have you been successful in developing your teams and organizational culture, as well as establishing yourself and achieving influence in an organization that's that large and complex. So Houston is very different, David, than any other city I've lived in. It is the most diverse city in the country. It truly is called a melting pot for a lot of different reasons. And so because it's a melting pot, I walked into a leadership team that was still getting developed. I had some transition on my team. And so what I did was I looked actually at the campuses to say, what kind of leadership would I want? Would that be somebody who's got this kind of knowledge or this kind of communication style? And so I asked all the leaders actually to apply to a lot of my positions because I wanted to grow people from the site to system. That was definitely one of them. I wanted to have ideas that were different from mine. I wanted to not worry about if they knew the knowledge. For example, the ambulatory leader that I have, he never even stepped into a retail pharmacy as a retail pharmacist. He was a acute care hospital leader, but I felt like I could train anybody as long as they had a few specific skill sets. And that included willing to learn, working hard, trust and loyalty. And so that's how I've been able to develop the team I have at System, it is on those four qualities. To be honest, David, I have a very diverse team. And a lot of that reason is because I also live in a very diverse city to be able to lead that kind of team. In terms of how I influence specifically, I influence through relationships. Working in a health system as large as mine, there is a lot of matrix reporting structures. And so to be able to navigate through a matrix reporting structure, the number one skill set to be successful in my role is to develop good relationships, to be the content and expert, of course, but to develop good relationships because the approval process can oftentimes be very lengthy because of the matrix organization we have. So I would say what I've done well at is building those relationships across the multidisciplinary teams, all the way from legal to compliance to the physicians. Everybody has a hand in how pharmacy operates, especially across such a large IDN that we have. Culturally, you know, uh, being of Asian descent, I think that already bodes to some specific stereotypes. Thankfully, I break a lot of those stereotypes. And so I allow people to really get to know who I am. And so having the ability to be transparent, open, them getting to know me 
has helped me continue to lead in such a dynamic matrixed organization. Yeah, thank you for that, Benita. I think, you know, key words, relationships, I think the emphasis of a diversity of a leadership team to lead in a diverse workforce as well as a diverse patient population. And it sounds like you're, what you were also conveying was a little bit of the multiplier effect of having that diverse team as you have to navigate a very matrix organization across the city is my guess, right? And so thanks very much for those insights. You know, I'd like to my next question directed to you, Chris. You work in an organization that has a very diverse patient care settings, if I recall, and locations, which I can imagine results in you having many different roles and responsibilities that are influenced by the needs of the particular site of care. Can you share how your role has evolved in your tenure at your organization, as you mentioned earlier, and advice to others on being an effective leader as a pharmacy leader, as well as in those non-direct pharmacy areas? And how did those opportunities come together for you to leverage them for personal growth, but also to serve your organization? Absolutely. I think that's a great question, David. And I think Benita actually touched a little bit on this already by explaining that her leader in the ambulatory care side really had only acute care experience. And I look at my areas of responsibility today, and certainly I don't have formal training in revenue cycle or supply chain or you know, laboratory or radiology, all of those areas that I have direct responsibility for as a senior leader. But I think the biggest part of that is that level of professional curiosity and the ability to learn about the people involved with those areas. And so back to what Benita was saying with those relationships, I think that is extremely important in leading across different departments and outside of the world of pharmacy. It's comfortable to be able to say, yes, I have pharmacy and these are my kind of skill sets. But even within pharmacy, as I said earlier, I'm a critical care trained guy and I have 10 outpatient pharmacies that I'm responsible for. And looking at what is the care model in those settings and what happens with all of my ambulatory care specialists who are providing collaborative drug therapy management in the clinics. And I span 12 FQHC sites throughout the city which are all primary care based. We span upwards of 12 to 15 community mental health center sites throughout the city. And also looking at even care sites that are under a bridge in a homeless shelter in tents. Those are all things that certainly I would have never thought of many years ago as I was going into pharmacy leadership and understanding how I could translate what we learned from pharmacy school and through residency training into providing the care for our patients where they need it. So I talked a little bit earlier about initial opportunities as a leader with residency program and clinical manager, and then growing into director positions and adopting other areas as I moved along. I wanted to make sure I highlighted the fact that I truly think that pharmacy school, along with residency training, creates a uniquely skilled healthcare professional to fundamentally be able to fully understand health systems. And that's both acute care hospitals like we have as a level one trauma center, regional burn center, to our large base of FQHCs spread throughout the city, to our large base of community mental health centers. I've really been able to rely on a lot of those transferable skills 
to approach leadership opportunities and leadership challenges within the health system. And today, pharmacy is, is just one very small portion of what I do on a day-to-day basis. And most of my work is done in the non-pharmacy space. However, I continue to use those skills and those experiences I had from bedside direct patient care to teaching, and I apply those to my daily leadership responsibilities. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And, you know, I really appreciate that you've said learning and learner a few times. And I think as you think about learning organizations, you know, just listening to you is and your openness to being a leader that's continuously open to learning, you know, this is a pearl for others to embrace, as I've heard through all three of your initial stories. And also kind of restating, I think what you're saying too, just that pharmacy is such a tremendous base to move from with that, the patient care centric learning and all the complexities of humanity, as you described on where our patients are, you know, and so really appreciate that. Thanks for those insights. So Ashley, I'd like to come back to you as an emerging leader with the big L positions, I guess, in the last couple of years as you finished your residency training, although it sounds like for many, many years, you've been leading teams and leading people and teaching future generations. But as someone that I know personally that you've committed to volunteer leadership, what advice do you have for peers when making decisions about work opportunities, building your professional networks, and then finding that balance in life for when there's demands professionally, volunteer professionally, as well as family? Thank you for that question, David. It's a really a loaded one, trying to going to try to approach it in, in three different spaces. So the first around making decisions, I think really it's about believing in yourself. It's very timely for me and I think for a lot of others because a lot of ABCALs are looking at that first position right now or looking to move into the first position as they've committed. And I just recently left what I've been calling my professional home for a long time. I started my story with the Susan Clinic as an intern and grew into my leadership there. But I think really it's believing in yourself. It's Chris talked a little bit about that spark of leadership and, you know, those folks who are coming to you and saying, hey, have you ever thought about And, you know, there's a lot of self-doubt, I think, and it's really leaning into that. When you're thinking about making changes in your career, again, it goes back to believing in yourself. I came back and through this quote as I was considering making my lightest career move, and it was, what has got you to where you are will get you to where you're going. And the way that I read that was, what was I scared about? And I was scared about losing these relationships that I had built over time. But really, it made me question that and it made me go back to my tenants and think about the skills and abilities of that I had and that all of you that are listening have and that both speak for themselves when you're in a new role and taking on new challenges. And if you're great at building relationships and you're afraid to build relationships, you'll build those again. That's all a part of, you know, the lifelong learning. I think when you think through building networks, again, Benita talked about how important and Chris did too about how important relationships are. And I think so much of what we do is based on it, whether it's, you know, these amazing relationships we build through professional organizations or it's relationships, you know, within our organization. It's about being authentic and creating an atmosphere where people can be themselves. I think if you show up and you are yourself, you'll attract the amazing ideas and the folks who also want to be themselves. And it's allowing that curiosity. It's allowing that innovation. I think when you allow people and you encourage people to show up with who they are and bring their full self to the table, 
it really allows for that innovation and collaboration to happen quite naturally. The last question you asked is finding balance. And this is, to be honest, something that I've struggled with ever since ending residency. As some of you know, I have three young kids, and so I'm constantly questioning, you know, what do I do? What's best? And I think that's very common, you know, with young parents or pet parents or even folks who are wondering about, do I take on this additional responsibility? And I don't know that I have the answers, but it reminds me, this question does, of that TikTok sound. I don't know if a lot of you are TikTok users, but the one from Brianna where she says, take it till you make it. And she says, what else are we going to do? Just lay in bed and hide. And that's really, I think, what we need to do is just keep reminding ourselves of how important it is to take care of ourselves. Things that I've seen others do and do well is actually take their PTO. So I'm going to use this as a platform to encourage everyone, take your time off and do things for yourself and make time for what energizes you. Oh, great, Ashley. So PTO, if one thing for everyone right now, this summer's yeah, coming right. as we kind of come out of a tremendous last two years. Hopefully that's one little pearl that many people will take use of as best as they can. So as we come to the last question, and this is the big question, I think, you know, just listening to each one of y'all's life journey, your pharmacist journey, and how all that's come together for your leadership journey, I'd like to finish today's podcast by asking you a question about your thoughts on the future. And I'd like to take a moment for this question to ask each of you what your leadership imperative for pharmacy practice and the profession is. And so I know this is a tough question to ask you to just pick one, but I'm really excited to hear how your responses will be similar or different. And I also think this will be great to listen to as a continued call to action for all of those in those leadership roles, both the big L and the small L. So I'm going to ask you in the order, Benita, if you could go first and then Ashley second and then Chris. David, I felt like this was the toughest question you've asked. What's imperative? And I think it's advocacy to our profession. We are at a crossroads. You know, I heard that when I was in pharmacy school, when Part D came about and we wanted to make sure we were part of Part D. And then it was 340B. And it's just the list has gone on and on around the crossroads. And I feel like we're at it again. I think COVID really impacted our profession. It's impacted healthcare as a whole, actually. And so our profession was able to rise to the top during COVID. But because of all the dynamics going on in the world and with our labor shortages, my concern is our profession may not be able to continue and advance as it's done in the last 20 years because of our labor situation. And so my ask or my imperative pharmacy practice is to be an advocate of ourselves, to continue to share with people, with your organization, with the community of the work pharmacists can do to be able to continue to elevate practice. Because if we don't, my fear that I'm seeing on the front lines is that especially leadership roles are not going to be pharmacist-led leadership roles. And so I ask everybody to advocate for our profession and to still remain to be a part of our profession in some capacity, even though I know people are tired and I know that the grass of baby green are on a different side of the equation. But I ask you to continue to be a part of direct patient care so we don't lose the momentum that we have so built, especially a lot of us leaders, to get to where we are today. And to regress would be very sad for me and our profession as a whole and for our patients, most importantly. Thank you, Benita. And Ashley? Yeah, I think advocacy is so important. I agree with Benita. I think 
though the way I'm going to take it is maybe advocacy in a different way, advocacy for DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think, you know, one of the things I've been reflecting on as I take this new role and as a leader is, you know, how do we prepare our workforce for what we're seeing right now, the great resignation, and how do we make our jobs so that people you know, want to take them and we keep that talent and we keep all those great folks that we've been training. And so I think the way in my call to leaders is to be authentic and be curious, show up and be non-judgmental and ask, what is it that these folks are bringing to the table? I think when you create an environment like that, it just really breeds the type of environment that people want to live in. And I think you know, David, to your point, this applies for big L and little L leaders. Anyone can make this change. Anyone can show up in this way. To quote Brene Brown, you know, braving leadership, to show up and be brave is hard, but anyone can do it. And I think it's going to take those dynamic and open minds that'll change our profession for the good. It'll help us adapt to our patients and our teams ultimately need. Thank you, Ashley. And Chris. Well, the beauty of going last is that Benita and Ashley have covered some of the items that I wanted to talk about. But I will add that I think that the last two years have really highlighted areas of healthcare disparities. And while I've worked in a safety net organization my entire career and thought I understood healthcare disparities, I learned so much in the last two years living through what we all did with COVID and seeing how that really separated the haves and the have-nots. And it really separated the communities of white and brown and black and all of the social unrest that was happening at the same time. So I think pharmacy leaders really need to take that into account and understand how we need to approach healthcare disparities. We're certainly going to see more need for mental health. That is one of the disparities that we will see as an outcome of this pandemic for many years to come. I think the focus on social determinants of health under healthcare disparities is huge. Understanding that really the medication and the healthcare that we provide is probably only about 10 to 20% of someone's overall health and everything else fits in that SDOH categories of employment and ability to get to and from appointments and poverty and food insecurity and all of those items, along with what Ashley has already highlighted, the focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think my last comment on this is not going to be very well received by many pharmacists, but I think pharmacists really need to get out of our own way. We often create rules and policies and we want to be type A with everything and I think over the years, we've created situations where it's become more difficult for pharmacists to succeed and to be nimble when we have to be nimble. And that's our future. That's what we're going to have to do as we move forward through healthcare. Wow. Well, thank you very much. That was a lot to take in. Great insights, lovely stories. And I think if I maybe could give a shot at rounding it out, chock full of inspiration, the message of engagement. I think, Chris, as you brought it around, you know, the story of we have a calling, right, to lead our nation's healthcare future with nimbleness, with all of our nation's strengths, as well as all of our nation's areas for opportunities to improve. And so, again, really thank you all three for being part of this special podcast. And for our audience, 
just need to say this was all the time we have today. So again, thank you, Chris, Ashley, and Benita for joining us. And in addition, most importantly, thank you for your leadership, service, and role modeling that you have provided for our profession. Thank you very much. And to the audience, thank you for joining us today. And be sure to subscribe to the ASHP official podcast. Thank you very much and enjoy the day. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.